Hey guys, and welcome to the Because Maybe podcast, the podcast that takes a look at all things 90s and answers some of the most important questions from the decade. Because maybe we've already figured out it's you, Mario. You don't have to tell us again. Kindly calm down with the stupid stereotype. My name is John Connolly, and thank you for whoever you are, wherever you are, for taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast. We have a good episode for you this week. We look at a pair of video games in Review Corner, Mario 3 and Mario World, that defined their genre in the early 90s. We have some 90s trivia for you, and our resident sarcastic teenager has a couple of words about communication. But before we go into all that, I want to thank each and every one of you who took the time to download and listen to the episode last week. You can't, you can't understand how humbled I am that people would do that, and I appreciate everybody who, who left their feedback, who replied to us on social media, who shared the pages. You know, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, you doubled my expectation. Uh, the amount of downloads, listens, and shares, and feeds doubled what I was expecting. So I am I'm more than grateful and more than thankful for every single person who has done that. Last week's episode was fantastic, and I'm hoping this week's episode is better, and next week's episode is better, and so on and so forth. You know, um, I'm really looking forward to going forward from here. Looking back at some of the feedback that we had on last week's episode on social media, uh, we had a couple of very, very interesting points I want to read out right now. Uh, Adrian on Twitter said that Mrs. Doubtfire's only negative point was that everyone assumes that's how cartoon voice work is made. Yeah, I completely agree with that sentiment. Cartoon voice work is not done with one guy with one half of an EP on talking into a microphone, doing multiple voices at the same time. Where's the multi-tracking? Where's the bright lighting so that they can read? I mean, it's just it's it's a complete misrepresentation. You know, it's like you make a cartoon and and it hits the same rib cage twice when playing a xylophone and it makes two different sounds. Hope somebody got fired for that blunder. Uh, we, we also had the Bowmaniacs talk about uh, Fight Club. We didn't read the book, but it was a great movie that barely made it into the 90s. And I wanted to talk about that very, very briefly. I looked up the uh, the development schedule for Fight Club, and the book was released in 96. The movie was greenlit in 97. Filming took place around about that time in for a movie out in 99. So that's that's just really, really crazy. That a book less than three years old was made into possibly one of the biggest movies of all time. So I thank everybody for getting in touch with us over social media last week, and we do have a question this week, and I do encourage everybody to check out our social media sites. Uh, I also want to apologize for the quality in my voice this week. Uh, I am finding a little bit of a sore throat. Um, I record pieces of the podcast in different segments because of the production work and to you know edit out any mistakes and censor any bad words that come through. And my voice might change during the course of the episode. I do apologize for that. Um, but like I said, I am finding a sore throat. But that's one of the things. For you guys, I want to get this out every week, regardless of... Uh, my voice condition, even if it's just something along the lines of me going, well, there's going to be nothing this week because my voice is done. You know, I just want to get something out because I, I think this is going to be a great, great podcast. And, you know, you guys, for taking the time out of your day to listen to what I have to say, I should take the time out of my day to give you something to listen to. That's that's what I think. Uh, if you guys want to support the podcast, we are looking for ideas. Um, not just in terms of subject matter, because like I mentioned, we've got a ton of subject matter, but the more the merrier. Uh, we are looking for a helping hand in certain areas, and you know, if you have any ideas that you want to contribute, but uh, email me directly, becausemaybepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll read everything, and I'll take on board what we need to do. 
One thing you guys have been asking about is the availability on other services like uh, Google Play and uh, Apple iTunes. And I've got some news in regards to that. The, the way that works is kind of a little bit weird for those of you who don't know. It doesn't, you know, you don't go through Apple to host the podcast. You have to host it somewhere else and submit your podcast and all, all the stuff. As of time of recording, it does look like we have been approved on the Apple Store. So if you uh, iTunes user, uh, look up because maybe podcast on your Apple device or on your home computer. When it comes to the Google Play Store, that could be a little while longer. Um, I've heard other podcasters talk about it's taken upwards of six months to get Google to approve their podcast. And yeah, that's 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 weird. So for right now, we're not available on the Google Play Store. And as of time of recording, we seem to be available on the Apple iTunes Store. However, that could be different by this time next week in regards to Google Play. However, if you don't use either of those two apps, you can check out the Podbean app, which is where we host the podcast. Um, that's the best place to get it right now until I can clear up all the confusion. If you don't have the Podbean app, I recommend that if you do get it, you can actually use your Facebook to log in. So you'll know what we have going on. Uh, at that time uh but i mentioned social media guys if you're on social media if you're on facebook twitter google plus tumblr youtube look for because maybe pod uh that's where we're located at we're going to be uh changing how we do things i'm still kind of getting to grips with promoting on social media so you know but we are you know we are going to post every episode that we have also our youtube videos one of the things i want to do in youtube i took inspiration from a couple of different podcasters and they put little snippets of clips of their podcast on YouTube. So that's kind of what I want to do too. I want to make sure that we have a lot of content that people can listen to and a lot of things that people can uh, can be entertained by. But yeah, like I said, go on social media. Everything will be posted there. Everything will be available to download from social media. There'll be links. And, you know, again, if you guys are on the Podbean app, it'll drop automatically. And as soon as we have an update on iTunes and Google, I will let you know because I know a lot of people listen through there. So I guess that's all the uh, housekeeping. Again, if you have any questions for us, shoot us an email, becausemaybepodcast at gmail.com. Check out our blog, too. We dropped one Saturday uh, about our subject matter for this episode, and we talked about the top nine games that Mario featured in the 90s. Some of them we cheated with, some of them we didn't. But it kind of ties into what we're talking about today. And again, guys, thank you very much for taking the time to listen to us. You're going to hear me say that a lot for a long, long time because, you know, it's humbling. But uh, I look forward to, you know to reading some of your questions, reading some of your replies, and getting some feedback from you guys. You know, that's that's one of the things that we're looking for. Well, let's make the show better, and let's bring you guys on board to help us make the show better. And together, we can create a fantastic product. Review Corner for Gamers This week on Review Corner, we take a look at two video games that were released by the same company, developed by the same company, at around about the same time, in the same series, but for two different generational consoles. We're looking at Super Mario 3 for the NES and Super Mario World for the SNES. The release dates of these games are kind of weird for me, and let me explain. Super Mario 3 was released on the 12th of February 1990 in North America. However, in the European market, it wasn't released until August 29th, 1991. Now, that seems a little weird to me, especially when you consider that Super Mario World was released three weeks earlier in North American markets. So you have this new generational game, Super Mario World, being released three weeks before your previous generation's game in a different part of the world. Nowadays that doesn't happen, you know, games are released kind of simultaneously, but back then that wasn't that much of a deal. 
Europe would have to wait until April of 92 before they got Super Mario World. What was weird about this time was that the SNES hadn't been released yet. Now, Sega had released the Genesis or the uh, Mega Drive, depending on which side of the world you are. As far as I'm concerned, it'll always be the Mega Drive. Uh, they released that back in 89, and Nintendo waited two years and developed the Super Nintendo, but it wasn't released until 91. And let me explain what I'm talking about here, because this is kind of uh, important. A uh, two-year gap in video game development is an age, and... What I mean by that is a few years ago, uh, 2013, we bought an Xbox 360. And one of the games we bought was The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. That is one of my favorite games. It is a fantastic game. I, I love it. Uh, there's a lot of bugs and a lot of graphical glitches, but you know, on the whole, it's a great game. And so that was the older game that we bought with it. And we also bought Tomb Raider, the new Tomb Raider that was out at the time. There was only two years difference in their development and release, and the graphics and the gameplay were night and day. So that's with modern technology, two-year gap, and that's how they were able to do it. Back then, you could have done so much in those two years, but to Nintendo's credit, they did release the SNES that was equal or better in some cases, and in fact, in a lot of cases, to the Sega Genesis, Sega Mega Drive. Uh, both games sold upwards of 20 million units, partially because they were great games and partially because they were bundled with their respective consoles at the time. And both games have a critical rating in the high 90s, uh, averaged out by uh, critics. Um, yeah, I mean, that's 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 good because, you know, I, I know a lot of gamers are very, 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 very weird. If I listen to a band that had an 80 out of 100 album, I think, man, what a great album that is. If you have a game that's 96% approved by the critics... People think, oh, what a what a game. So, you know, it's very, 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 very different how gamers and music fans think. But those two, I mean, very, very high ratings for those two games. Especially considering the genre that it is. It's the traditional side-scrolling platform. Mario 3 was extra hyped too because it signaled the return of traditional Mario gameplay. The Mario 2 that was released in Japan became what was known as the Lost Levels. And the Mario 2 that the United States and Europe got was a completely different franchise altogether, which is why it was a completely different way of playing. It's kind of the black sheep, but 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 I like it. It also had high expectations because it was the last Mario game to be made for the NES. At the same time, Super Mario World was in development for the SNES, and that had its own uh, level of expectation too, because it was the first mascoted game of that video game console. So both games had high expectations going in before anybody even picked up a control pad. Both the games had something that was unusual for its time, and especially the genre of the game, and that was a plotline. Uh, both the games were, you know, traditional side-scrollers, and those followed a formulatic routine. They would go level 1, level 2, maybe level 3, boss, and so on and so forth, until, you know, the game was over. Uh, through the use of world maps, which I'll get to in a minute, and cutscenes, it did kind of display that the game actually had something, you know, something bigger going on than just, hey, your princess is in another castle, excuse to another world. The difference being, of course, is that Mario 3, the initial part of the game, and that's confirmed by Miyamoto, that uh, the game was originally supposed to be a theatrical performance of the Mario series, and, you know, Bowser's children had stolen the seven magical wands. And then during this performance, Bowser kidnaps the princess, which is why the last few levels of the game are a lot harder and a lot more different, and I'll get to that here in a minute. But um, in Mario World, it takes place after Mario 3, so it is a sequel. And it basically sends you to Dinosaur Land, where the princess has been kidnapped once again, and Mario and Luigi have to save uh, the princess and uh, creatures known as Yoshis. 
which Yoshis were a great, great addition to the Mario series, and I'll talk about that here in a minute because they do have some fantastic abilities. But as I mentioned earlier, both games have what was called World Map. Uh, Mario 3 was actually the first Mario game to have a world map, and since Mario 3, every other subsequent platform-style Mario game had a world map feature in that. Uh, Mario World's world map was different to Mario 3's, in the sense that uh, you could start at level 1 in Mario World, go through the whole game, and go backwards and forwards, left and right, up and down, as many times as you wanted to. Whereas Mario 3, once you completed a level, it was locked for the rest of that playthrough. The world map also led to each world having its own theme. So, for example, in Super Mario 3, all the levels in a specific world would follow a specific form. So, we had World 1 was grassy plains, World 2 was a desert, World 3 was mostly underwater, World 4 was giant land, World 5 was skyland, World 6 was iceland, World 7 was pipeland, and then he went to uh, Bowser's Darkland. Uh, on Mario World, each map had its own theme too, uh, but it was slightly different. In fact, Mario World only had seven worlds as opposed to Mario 3's eight. But also, and this was this is one, one thing that I found interesting, is that the even-numbered worlds in Super Mario World kind of shared a lot of features, whereas the odd-numbered worlds had their own theme. So you had Yoshi's Island, the Vanilla Dome, which was an all-underground world. You had the Forest of Illusion, which drove you crazy. But the other worlds, Donut Plains, Twin Bridges, and the Chocolate Island all had kind of similar characteristics too. The strange thing about Mario World is it didn't have a traditional Mario warp feature. Mario 3 also didn't have a traditional feature, but it did have a warp function. To uh, warp in Mario 3, you had to obtain a whistle. Uh, those whistles, there were only three of them in the game. Now, I thought there were four in the game, but apparently there were only three. There was a myth that you would get a whistle in a Toad House, but that is completely wrong. Nintendo have confirmed there are only three whistles in the game. In World 1-3, behind the uh, hidden white platform, in World 1 Fortress, where you have to fly uh, and get, you know, and, and get it through there. And in World 2 Hammer Brother. So when you fight one of the Hammer Brothers, there's a whistle somewhere in there. Uh, Mario World, like I said, did not have that feature, but one of its advantages is it had Star World. Star World was a series of five bonus levels that you could get to from specific points on the map by using an alternative exit. And I'll talk about alternative exits here in a moment. So, in theory, you know, it, it's possible to complete the game without going through every single level. But Mario World's version of it was slightly different, you know. But again, you could go through the whole map and complete the levels as many times as you wanted in Mario World. And in fact, in some levels, it encouraged you to play more than once. It did that by using alternative exits. This was the first game to have alternative exits in some levels. Now, in Mario World, each level is denoted by, like, a flashing yellow circle. If it had a flashing red circle, that meant that there was more than one exit. And if you got the secret exit, you got a secret path. You either got a secret level, or you got a star world, or, you know, you got a hidden area. The map has four larger circles. Nobody understands why that is, although the rumor is that it's because those levels are bigger than normal. Uh, okay, that, that kind of makes sense, but it doesn't, because some of the levels are not as... Some of those big levels are not as big as some, some of the other levels. Um... Mario World was the first game to feature ghost houses and switch palaces. A ghost house was basically a haunted house that was filled with Mario ghosts or boos. And yeah, those... Oh, I hated those levels. I hated them. To prepare for this podcast, I played the game uh, on an emulator. And I will say this. I hate the ghost houses. There's no other way of saying it. I, I can't stand them. 
I can't stand them. And uh, switch palaces were something slightly different. There was uh, a bunch of empty outline blocks, a space where a block would be. To go to a switch palace, you had to complete that level, and it would turn all those uh, empty blocks with an outline into an actual block. Uh, they came in four different colors, yellow, green, blue, and red. And the yellow blocks would give you a Mario Mushroom, and the green blocks would give you a Cape Feather. Now, the red and the blue gave you nothing, which... To me, that kind of disappointed me because you had enough power-ups to give each block a unique, you know, a unique power-up. You could have used a fire for the red block and maybe thrown Yoshi out of the blue one. I, I don't know. Mario 3, however, was not without its own firsts either. Uh, it was the first game to have what was called a fortress. Fortresses became uh, kind of the midpoint of every world and every level in the Mario game. And yeah, you know, it was really, really good uh, to find a mini-boss. Uh, sometimes I think you got like a, a star at the end of it. You know, it was just, yeah, it's a place to get a lot of coins and a lot of uh, a lot of experience playing the game. Uh, but again, like I said, in Mario 3 and in Mario World, you didn't necessarily have to complete every single level in order to get to the next world. In Mario 3, you could take shortcuts on the world map and, and just discard portions of the map. And in Mario World, you could bypass whole levels by going through secret exits, or as I mentioned, going through the Star World. And, you know, it, it kind of led to... Um, two kinds of playing of the game. You could either play it purely, you know, complete every level, get everything, or you could speedrun the game, which is, you know, what a lot of people did. So, to, so how do you play this game? Well, like all Mario games, you were in control of Mario, or Luigi, and you can use Mario, or Luigi, to navigate the maps and the, look, okay, look, I'm not trying to clown on Luigi. I know Luigi has a great fan club, a big fan club, and my son is, is one of them. He loves Luigi. I guess it's because he's a little brother. But out of all the video game second player characters, I think Luigi gets the shortest stick for two reasons. One, he's considered the biggest afterthought in all of the games. He doesn't have his own storyline. Um, he only shows up for convenience of plot, meaning that you need a second player. Well, let's just throw Luigi in there. There's nothing about him that, that is anything more than, okay, he can jump a little bit higher. But but that's it. I kind of It kind of makes me feel bad when I, when I look down, even though he's not a real guy. But, uh, you know, Luigi just, yeah. I mean, it just... It saddens me, especially how they portrayed him in later games, being a physical coward and the complete antithesis of Mario, except for his morality, you know. And, which is a shame, they could have made Luigi a really, really good, unique character, just as brave as Mario. But he's, like I said, he only shows up for convenience of plot. So, you know, what can you say? If, if, the, if the developers don't love him as much as he should be loved, I shouldn't either. But, um... Anyway, Mario and Luigi, you know, they do the, the standard things that you can think of in a Mario game. They run and they jump. Mario World had a unique feature that uh, started giving extra credence to how Mario jumps in the future games. Uh, in this game, he could spin jump. So what that was was you hit the A button or the red button and he would fly in the air similar height and similar distance. But if he was spinning as he landed on a tougher enemy, it would, you know, take him out in one go. Uh, also, that was used to break uh, blocks, which was both a help and a hindrance in certain levels. Mario 3, however, had more power-ups to choose from. In fact, in my opinion, they had maybe too many power-ups. You had, you know, Mario. You had Super Mario, which you got through a mushroom. You had Fire Mario, which you got through the Fire Flower. Those are the three that everybody knows. Then you had the Super Leaf, which turned you into Raccoon Mario, which gave you a small uh, flight ability. Uh, and, you know, the ability to take out your opponents with the Tail Whip. Uh, you had a Tanuki suit, which did everything that uh, Raccoon Mario did, and you could turn into an immovable, invincible statue. 
The P-Wing was also something that was used for Raccoon Mario, which gave you uh, permanent flight abilities uh, for a single level. Now, if you were hit, you reverted back to Super Mario, or at the end of the level, you just reverted back to Raccoon Mario. You also had the Frog Suit. The Frog Suit made underwater levels a breeze, but overworld levels, oh my word, they were so difficult in the Frog Suit. Uh, you could turn into Hammer Mario by taking on the Hammer Suit, which you could throw uh, hammers, and you could shield yourself against fireballs. And, and then, of course, you had the Invincibility Star, where Mario kills everything that he touches, everything that moves is dead. Mario World cut the number from 8 to 6 and kind of kept them a little bit more useful because there was kind of a lot of overlap in Mario 3's uh, powers. The Hammer Mario and the Fire Mario could be seen as doing a similar thing, you know, shooting a projectile. And then you had the Super Leaf, the Tanuki, and the P-Wing all granting you flight ability with a raccoon. It just, it was too much. But in Mario World, you had the basic Mario form, the Super Mushroom and the Fire Flower. You also had the Cape Feather, which turned Mario into the ability to fly. Unlike the raccoon suit, where you could only fly for a short amount of time before the ability ran out and then you had to recharge it, you could theoretically fly from the beginning of a level to the end of a level. Uh, it just depends on how you controlled it. You had the power balloon, which made Mario uh, float and fly. Uh, this this was kind of useless. It was only used for getting you uh, high up in certain areas. Um, I, I didn't like it. I think I thought it was a waste of an ability. Um, and obviously the invincibility style. Mario World also had the ability to move the camera around. Not much, I mean, just so Mario wasn't dead center of the screen, it would either move Mario to the left of the screen or to the right of the screen. Uh, depending on which way you were going, it was beneficial. Um, it was kind of gimmicky, I never used it that much, but, you know, whatever. Uh, both games had some uh, one-time use or limited uh, abilities too. Uh, Mario 3 had the Goomba shoe, which is where you well, Mario would jump into a wind-up shoe that you could jump across certain objects and jump on top of people. And the P-Blocks, which would turn all blocks into the area into coins, and vice versa. The Goomba Shoot didn't make it to Mario World, but the idea behind it did, and that's where you acquired a green Yoshi. Uh, Yoshi was the first mount in the Mario series that was a living, breathing, alive creature. Um, he kind of acts as an additional power-up, so that whenever you were on a Yoshi and Mario got hit, Yoshi would take the brunt of, you know, of the thi of the uh, of the damage. So, for example, if you were small Mario and run into a Goomba, you wouldn't die. Yoshi would just kick you off and speed away, you know, to try and get to safety. And at that point, Yoshi was invincible until you either jumped on him again or he fell down. You know, he just fell down. Uh, he does have special abilities when you uh, cl when you have shells in your mouth. Mario had four kinds of Koopa turtles. They were uh, the green, red, blue, and yellow, and they all had their own abilities too. But when Yoshi had a Koopa shell in his mouth, he kind of acted in one of four different ways. If he had a green shell, nothing would change, but he would spit out a green shell that would, you know, take out uh, enemies. Uh, if he had a red shell, he would spit out three fireballs that would turn everything, that would incinerate everything in front of them and spit out a Mario coin. If he had a blue shell in his mouth, he would fly. And if he had a yellow shell in his mouth, every time he jumped, when he landed, he would kind of stomp and, like, you know, upturn things that... Uh, could be upturned and so on and so forth. Yoshi also had a power-up called the Yoshi Wings, which is whenever you hit something you saw a pair of wings flying, that would take Yoshi to a coin heaven and automatically turn your Yoshi blue. Now yes, I mentioned 
Yoshi's changing colour. Yoshi came in the four colours mentioned, green, red, blue, and yellow. The abilities that uh, Yoshi, the green Yoshi had when swallowing a shell is what the other coloured Yoshis had as default. So, for example, a red Yoshi would always spit up three fireballs. A blue Yoshi would always uh, take flight when it had a shell in its mouth. And the yellow Yoshi would stomp regardless of what it had in its mouth. So, for example, a yellow Yoshi could have a blue shell in his mouth, and that yellow Yoshi would fly and then stomp at the same time. Which, you know, which was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, you had nothing like that in Mario 3. But Mario 3 did have its own perks, which I'll get to here in a little bit. Uh, the enemies of this game were unique in the sense that... Uh, well, Mario 3 had 73 unique enemies in 13 different types of categories. Many of these enemies are making their debut in the Mario series. 73 unique enemies. That's insane. That that's 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 too much, especially for a game of its size. Now, don't get me wrong; it was a big game for the console it's on, but the levels were shorter, and which I'll get to here in a minute. So, you had seventy-three unique types of enemies. Just oh my word, you know, and a lot of them making their debut too. So a lot of these enemies would were made specifically for this game, and yeah, it was just. Unbelievable. Uh, it was also the debut of Bowser's children, the Koopalings. In Mario 3, they were not referred to as the Koopalings. They were just referred to as Bowser's children. However, in Mario World, they were each given their unique names. Now, Bowser's children are all named after musicians. You had Ludwig van Cooper, Ludwig van Beethoven. You had um, Lemmy Cooper, you know, and so on and so forth. And they also had a rhino that was called the Resna which was named after Trent Reznor, so they used a lot of rock influences. This game, despite being larger, had fewer unique enemies. So there was only 66 in this game. That's still a lot of unique enemies. And in a lot of areas, you know, it was just chock full of enemies. Just, just, oh my word. You know, but um, yeah, I mean, a very, very good effort by Nintendo to get, to make this game as different as possible, because all the unique enemies had different characteristics which was good I, I like that you know it's not just the same thing but they did use more enemies than others and a lot of them are rarer but again you know each one is hard each one has its own way of, of basically killing you to the touch uh, both games offered two player modes now in Super Mario World there was no difference between uh, one player mode and two player mode basically put you if I completed level one you could complete level one or you could complete level two if you wanted to and so on and so forth there were no penalties for not completing certain levels whereas in Mario 3 once a level was completed uh, that level was shut out so Mario would do level one Luigi would do level two Mario would do level three and so on and so forth so you know you, you basically if you were player one and you didn't want to do a certain level, you could purposely die on that level and let player two do it, and then you go back to the level that you want to do. Well, that's that's what I did. You're not supposed to do that. Anyway, uh, two-player mode on uh, Mario 3 also had uh, one extra feature. Uh, like I mentioned, you couldn't play a level again on Mario 3 after you completed it, but it would be denoted who completed it by a giant M or a giant L. So, for example... Mario completes level 1. Luigi could go to level 1 and initiate a mini-game that was identical to the original Mario Brothers game. Mario and Luigi battling each other for extra lives and, and everything like that. Uh, they brought this feature back a couple of times in, in more modern Mario games. I know New Super Mario Brothers Wii had uh, a battle mode and a coin battle. And yeah, I mean, you know, I liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was a great idea. And 
you know, it was a way of competing against your friends rather than he does one level, I do the next level, and whoever gets to the bow, whoever gets to Bowser first wins. You know, it was it was a good way of testing your skills and seeing just how good you actually were at the game. Uh, Super Mario Three was harder than the original Mario games. Let's make no bones about it. Mario Three was a very very difficult game. Not just in terms of the levels themselves, but navigation of the world. World 7 and 5 were dang near impossible to do. World 8, you had to almost be a ninja to complete certain levels. You had to jump, duck, you had to jump at the right time, duck at the right time, make sure... Sometimes you had to jump, duck, and move at the same time. Yes, it, it, it's, it was difficult. Mario World was easier, but it wasn't as compressed. Because in Mario 3, the levels were shorter. And I don't know if that was by design or if they had to do that because of the limitations of the console that it was on. Uh, it was possible to hoard power-ups in Mario 3. Uh, you press, I think, B on the map and you had like a it flip over and you could pick any one of the power-ups that you had saved from the toad houses and so on and so forth. Uh, Mario World, you could hold a power-up and hit select or every time you died it would drop it from the sky so yeah it did have it did have its own its own way of doing things mario world also uh had was the first game that had some cosmetic changes not when you completed the game but when you completed the special world every special world level um it changed from a summer theme to a fall theme so anywhere that had leaves they would change from green to orange and brown uh, and all the Koopa Troopers wore masks of Mario's head, which looked goofy to me. They looked absolutely ridiculous, in my opinion. They they looked they they looked terrible. Uh, all the bullets that were fired became pigeons. Now, pigeons were the enemy that in Mario Two sat on the magic carpet and annoyed the crap out of you. Um, yeah, all they would now be fired across the screen, and any piranha and vines would become uh, pumpkin patches. So you know it was. Yeah, uh, Mario World featured a uh, finishing line gate, which gave you star points, which had the ability to uh, gain extra lives. In Mario 3, you got a special card. Now, each card was one of the three main things in the Mario series, a star, a flower, or a mushroom. And every time you got three of those cards, you got a bonus. If you got three stars, you got five extra lives. If you got three flowers, you got three extra lives. If you had three mushrooms, you got two extra lives. If you had anything that wasn't the same, so if you had a star, a flower, a mushroom, uh, a star, and two flowers, etc., etc., if it was mix and match, you'd only get one life. You also had toad houses, which would uh, give you a power-up, and a card house where you could win power-ups, uh, which which I liked. I think that was good. You know, the more the more chances it got you to pass levels. I think that was one of the trade-offs of making the game a little bit more difficult was that it gave you enough power-ups to kind of make it fun because now instead of tackling every level that you failed at a small mario let's throw a fire flower suit on you know and and keep it going uh, i never understood especially being a small boy in europe why the mario coins were referred to as dollars in this game uh, i don't know if they were referred to as yen in the japanese version but uh, definitely in the uh, in the european version where no country uses dollars the game was referred to with the dollar sign um, you know, it only took them a year and a half to release the game in Europe. Maybe it could have made it more European. Maybe it could have used the pound sign, or maybe it could have used uh, whatever you know, could he, whatever symbols were being used in Europe at the time, because this was pre-Euro. The power-ups in Mario Three also would randomly go to the left or the right. What I mean by that is, is um, in all the other Mario games, you hit the block where a power-up comes out, 
and it immediately goes to the right, and you go to the right of the block, and you pick it up. Mario 3, it would go either left or right. I don't know if this was a bug, I don't know if this was intentional, but it was really annoying. Mario 3 was also a long game, and you had to complete this game in one sitting, because it didn't have a save feature. So I'm just wondering how many kids were kicked off their TV uh, by their parents telling them to put that video game down, when they'd been playing this game for a couple of hours, and they were only halfway, or almost done with the game, and they had to turn it off. You know, I bet there were a lot of angry kids out there. Um... But due to this lack of save feature, I think that was one of the uh, one of the main drawbacks of this game. However, they did correct that in Super Mario World. It did feature a save feature, but in terms of your coinage, power-ups, uh, lives, and score, you lost everything. So you save, turn the console off, go do whatever it is you're going to do, come back, turn it back on, and if you had 40 lives, you start with 5. If you had uh, 98 coins and just needed two more, you started out with zero. And that sucked. At the same time, I can kind of understand because, you know, I guess they were just getting used to the hardware. And even though it was a long game, it is still theoretically possible to complete it in one sitting. Yoshi was added to Mario World, as I mentioned earlier, but he wouldn't accompany you in certain levels. Uh, ghost houses, castles, and fortresses, he'd kind of hang out outside just waiting for you to finish, you know, and come and rescue him. It is theoretically possible to complete the game on a single Yoshi that you got in World 1-1. This is the only Mario game that's possible because in subsequent Mario games, Yoshi would only show up at specific times and at specific levels. At the end of that level, Yoshi would go back to doing what he did and, you know, you carry on your adventure, you go your separate ways. But in this game, once you hopped on a Yoshi, it is theoretically possible for you to go the whole game with that same Yoshi. Mario World also introduced the Dragon Coin concept. Uh, they use some similar features in some Mario games where it's, you know, star coins, dragon coins, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you collect all five of them in a level and you get an extra life. Uh, this game also, as I mentioned, had secret exits and in Forest of Illusion World 5, you absolutely had to get every single exit that was part of the game. Otherwise, you'd not progress. That's why it's called Forest of Illusion. It was a nightmare. Still is a nightmare. Oh my word. Uh, and also, this is the first game where consecutive hits from the Invisibility Star gives you an extra life. Um, what I mean by that is, in the Mario series, if you hit, I think it's six enemies, it goes 200, 400, 800, 1200, so on and so forth, all the way up to 5,000 points, and for every 5,000 points you get at one time, you get an extra life. Except when you were had the Invincibility Star. Well, in Mario World, they added that feature, which made getting infinite lives very, 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 very easy. The soundtracks of both games were made by Koji Kondo, the uh, lead composer of Nintendo. He did the Mario series and the Zelda series. Um, every map in Mario 3 had its own theme music. In Mario World, the Special World had its own theme music. The Star World had its own theme music. And all the odd-numbered worlds had their own music. But... Uh, the other worlds had the same piece of music. Uh, the Star World is a remix version of the original Starman music, whereas if you hang out in the special world for a couple of minutes, the original Super... Well, I say the original. A remix of the Super Mario theme will be heard. Uh, in Mario 3, it was the first game to have two different uh, theme musics for the overworld. So they called it the regular theme and the athletic theme. Uh, the Underworld theme is just a revamped version of the main Mario 1 Underworld theme, which I thought was fantastic. Mario World was the first Mario game not to feature the classic Underworld theme. The difference is, though, is that all of the um, music in Mario World 
is the same riff. It's just arranged differently. Another thing about the Mario World music is if you wrote a Yoshi, it added kind of percussion to it. It added a rhythm section to it. So if you listen to the Mario theme off Yoshi, then on Yoshi, you can obviously hear it. I thought that was fantastic. I thought it was a great use of showing uh, what Yoshi can do. Um, I'll, I'll make Yoshi better in the game. It's just subconsciously the music was better, so you had to get on the Yoshi. I thought that was that was great. So I know what you guys are asking. John, which game is the winner for this week? Well, these games are not in competition. But I will say that Mario 3 is the better game. I give that a 9 out of 10, whereas I give Mario World an 8.5 out of 10. Um, both games are very, 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 very good and two of the better examples of platform games. Uh, Mario 3 is very, very fast-paced and it's very, very difficult. But it is worth every single second that you spend trying to beat it. Uh, for its genre and system, it is a very, very long game, surprisingly so. Mario World, yes, it's easier than Mario 3, but it's still a very difficult game. Uh, but the addition of Yoshi and the save feature is a huge plus. The downside is there are some areas of the game that are just so filled with enemies. I mean, just so many at the same time. You have the uh, the football guys, the baseball guys, the plants, just all at the same time trying to rush you and get to you. And it's just, ugh, it's just, it's too much. Um, the graphics and sound were a lot better. Um, they, they, they just were. Um, and the plot of the game, you know, was 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 there the plot of the game was always in your mind you always knew what your focus was on whereas in mario 3 they didn't have necessarily as much cutscenes, and that as a lack of a save feature probably is why i didn't rate a 10 out of 10 but mario 3 was the pioneer of what would become the future mario series in normalcy you had the fortresses for the first time you had the world map for the first time the introduction of the coupling so that the enemy is not always bowser you know i thought that was that was you know, fantastic. But Mario World also added the Yoshi and it added some more basic abilities. So it sacrificed power-ups for more of just natural stuff Mario could do and that would help you along in the game. So that leads to the social media question of the week and it's going to be in the form of a poll. Ooh. Basically put, which was the better game? Mario 3, Mario World. You can check it out at Because Maybe Pod and yeah, I look forward to hearing your responses and, you know, looking forward to reading what you have to say. Grandma, I love you. Bye. Ugh. Like, I get it, okay? Today you can contact anyone whenever you want to, but to me, I don't understand why folks can't just text. We have hundreds of apps these days to contact people from Facebook to Snapchat. We just get messages left and right. But that doesn't mean that I want to talk to you. It's not like before, whenever I needed to contact you, I had to call your house or page you. Ugh. Paging. Back in the olden times, before we were tethered to social media and memes, to send someone a text message, you had to page them. Sounds simple, right? Wrong. You called someone's pager. They had to memorize your number, and then they had to go to a payphone to call you back. A payphone! Nobody has seen one of those for like a hundred years! Anyway, they had to get the change out and dial the number just to contact someone. How stupid is that? Here's the problem! Today, when someone sends you a text, you know who is sending, because you gave them your number, right? Well, back then you had to memorize these things. Memorize phone numbers. What are we, in Russia? Then to top it all off, it's not instantaneous. The page, or whatever, could have been sent hours ago. You don't even know who sent it. 
Unless you have a memory like Einstein. Ugh. The point is, today we can communicate so much easier. But back in the day, you really had to want to talk to someone to contact them. So it's much better than now, where even your annoying friend can send you a stupid, awesome memes whenever they want. <coughs> oh, gee. Hello. Okay, that was funny. So, before we start talking about some 90s trivia, I have a couple of questions for you guys. Are you interested in a night of 90s music and entertainment? Are you in the Northwest Louisiana area of the world? Are you over 21 years of age? If the answer to all three is yes, October 21st at 9pm, why not head to the Tiki Bar on 639 East Kings Highway in Shreveport, Louisiana and catch friends of the show, The Holodecks, live in concert. The show starts at 9, but it is recommended, due to limited seating, that you arrive early to get a seat. So I know what you're wondering, how much would you pay for a night of 90s music and entertainment? Thankfully, it's not important what you would pay, because entry to this event is 100% free. Check the band out on Facebook at facebook.com slash holodex. That's facebook.com slash hollow, H-O-L-L-O-W, dex. Check out their website for upcoming dates in your area of the world at theholodex.com and find out why they are all 90s all the time. So before we close this week's episode, I thought I'd get some 90s trivia out of the way. This week we're looking at October 1st through October 7th. I'm going to go right in to October 4th, 1990, where Beverly Hills 90210 premiered. And what a show that was, if you like that kind of thing. I didn't, so we keep moving forward. Then you have uh, October 3rd, 1992, Sinead O'Connor ripped up a picture of the Pope on Saturday Night Live, causing a huge amount of controversy. Uh, on the 5th of October, 1993... Laid was released by James. I love that album. I think it's fantastic. A vastly underrated band with James, but there we go. Uh, two years later, on October 2nd, 1995, Oasis released What's the Story, Morning Glory. That became the biggest selling album in the UK of the 90s. Was it a great album? We'll find out here in a couple of weeks. Uh, just a day later, 150 million Americans tune in for the not guilty verdict for O.J. Simpson in the Nicole Brown, Ron Goldman murder trial. I refuse to call it the O.J. Simpson trial, and again, we'll talk about it here in a couple of weeks. On the 7th of October, 1996, Fox News was launched. Yay. Uh, sometime this week, no dates have been confirmed, but it is confirmed that this week, the first Grand Theft Auto game was released on DOS. This week has been huge when you think about it, because you have one of the biggest TV series ever released. One of the biggest albums of all time ever released. One of the biggest crime scandals finished. You had one of the biggest news networks was launched. You had one of the biggest video game franchises of all time released. And this week is topped off by one of the greatest movies of all time coming out on the 1st of October 1999. Elmo in Grouchland. So that's, uh, if you ever watched that movie, you know that I'm talking out of my rear end. So, um, 
what a bad movie that was, guys. I mean, it's not just because Elmo's in it, although that's that's one of the reasons why. Oh, God. I said last week you don't want to compare kids' movies to The Godfather, but you can at least compare this to, you know, The Muppets, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but, um, so, I mean, yeah, that's, that's this week in trivia. So this week's social media question is, what was the better game, Super Mario 3 or Super Mario World? You hear how I think, now I want to hear how you think. Use the hashtag BMPod and check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, look for Because Maybe Pod, and that's where we will be. If you want to talk about anything to do with this podcast, use the hashtag BMPod so that, you know, we can keep the conversation going. Um, again, I'm looking forward to hearing your answers. I want to know which was the better game. I want to know what you guys think. I want you guys to tell me I'm wrong because, you know, I've been right a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, so it's, it's kind of getting unnerving. Uh, <laughs> next, we're going to do another review show, and we're going to be reviewing two of the funniest movies that were made in the 90s. Let me rephrase that. We're going to be reviewing one of the funniest movies that was made in the 90s and its sequel. Uh, we're going to be reviewing Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2. Uh, next week, we're also going to have our first collaborator on the scene. We're going to have Greg Gregory join us. Uh, Greg is bass player and singer for the Holodecks. Uh, for, again, friends of the show. Um, he knows so much about these movies. These are one of his favorite films. And we're going to have a discussion about how these films came about, what they're about, and you know our own opinions on them. So I'm looking forward to having Greg on board. Greg is one of the guys who's been helping me put this together. And it's kind of a thank you to help him. You know, I've been helping promote the holodecks. And, you know, I told him he has an open invitation. When I showed him what we were talking about, he definitely said, I want to talk about Wayne's World. So it's going to be great to have him on the show. And that's it. Again, keep checking us out on social media. If we have any more news, we'll update you there. Go check out our blog for this week where we talk about the top nine games that Mario has featured in that are not part of the main Mario series. And that's it, guys. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to us. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. Hey everyone, uh, John here. Um, yes, I know the show is over, and I know you've heard the outro music, and you probably hit pause, but you've seen that there's a little bit more. Um, I was planning on doing something like this whenever there was something big in the news that I think everybody was talking about, and give my opinion on it. Not so much necessarily in political, social, or anything like that, just to, mainly to do with some of the subject matters that we deal with. Um, I know that Monday this week we had the uh, big Las Vegas shooting and there are many many people who are smarter and more in the knowing of the whole situation than I am which is why that's not what we're talking about but uh, on Monday we also learned that Tom Petty had passed away and I just want to say a couple of words on Tom Petty before uh, we called it good um, I am a musician as I've mentioned before and he was one of the people I looked up to in terms of how I played and how I structured the songs that I wrote, um, tried to make them about something, not just a random string of words together. He was one of, one of my influences. Um, one of the most universally beloved musicians in the music world, and judging by the reaction on social media uh, the last couple of days, one of the most beloved musicians, period. Uh, there was a period of time where there was conflicting reports about whether or not he had passed and whether or not he was still alive, and... 
I mean, some rumours even came out that he was uh, going to make it through everything. And my first thought was, if he did make it through, uh, he would see one thing that very few musicians see in their lifetime, that is the outpouring of respect and joy from fans and peers and just everyone. In the last couple of years, we've lost some uh, really, really fantastic musicians uh, and and just all across the board in every genre. I think, you know, the two biggest that people talk about are Bowie and Prince. And now we can add Tom Petty to that list. Um, such a fantastic, fantastic musician. Uh, again, a great influence on my own personal uh my own personal uh, journey as a musician. And, of course, he was a big influence on the man who uh, taught me uh, certain tricks on the guitar, certain production techniques, you know. And, yeah, it was such such sad news hearing about it. I just I just wanted to say a few words on one of, one of the men who influenced me in my music career and by by proxy had, you know, an effect on, on my future career and the future things that I wanted to do. I know a lot of people have their own favorite Tom Petty song. Mine is uh, Learning to Fly. Uh, I thought that the way it sounded was fantastic. Um, just the production, the, the the way the guitar sounded, the layout, the epitome of full chord rock. I know a lot of people have their own favorites like uh, You Don't Know How It Feels, uh, Mary Jane's Last Dance, uh, you know, just, just Free Fallen, just some of these amazing, amazing songs. And, you know, it's it's a tragedy. It's a, it's a real tragedy. The music world is worse off. And like I said before, the word legend is thrown about too much. But uh, I think as a, the music community and fans of music as a whole have lost a guaranteed living legend. So, um, like I said, just wanted to give you my thoughts on Tom Petty. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope everybody has a great week and we'll catch you up next week.